Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. For Monday, August 29th, I'm your host, Victor Manash. On today's show, we're talking about the impact of the macroeconomic environment on the world of real estate investing. So much of what's happening in the economy is being dominated by the macro environment. Lenders are being influenced more by central bank policy compared with local market effects. Chairman Powell reiterated the Fed's resolve to stamp out inflation at the Jackson Hole Conference last week. And we've gone through a period of nearly 40 years of rapid globalization combined with monetary supply inflation. How is it that the increase in monetary supply has not translated into massive consumer price inflation like the debasement of currencies in historic cycles? question is why. The answer can be found in globalization. What is the purpose of globalization? In most cases, companies are seeking to increase profitability, lower their costs, by gaining access to a lower cost commodity. Sometimes that commodity is a raw material. In other cases, it's a commodity like labor. And China has increased its domestic product from under $500 per capita GDP when Richard Nixon paid his first visit to China back in the 1970s to 10000 per capita GDP today. The U.S., Canada, many parts of Europe were successful in exporting their inflation, and China and many other manufacturing-focused economies were willing to absorb that inflation. The trade imbalance was absorbed by countries who were willing to buy U.S. treasuries with the surplus cash. So not only was the surplus demand created by cheap money and the printing of money, the entire scheme was funded by the low-cost suppliers, notably China, Korea, Japan, the Philippines, and others. And that whole scheme works until it doesn't. This year, we've reached a major inflection point, the stop of globalization. See, the Cold War that followed World War II was between two powers of comparable military capability, at least comparable nuclear capability. But the economic powers were very different. The Soviet Union was never an economic equal, just a military adversary. And in the communist world, the Soviet Union was the senior partner and China was the junior partner. Today, those roles are reversed. China is an equal economic power to the U.S., and they have a rapidly advancing military power. And Russia is now the junior partner in that alliance. From an economic standpoint, we're entering a period of global balkanization. Some countries have already chosen sides and allied either with Europe and the U.S., or others have chosen China and Russia. The question becomes, who will those neutral countries choose if they're forced to choose? Will buying low-cost goods from China become impossible? What are the implications to Western economies if that happens? Will India stay neutral? Is it even possible to stay neutral? Will they choose to side with Russia in exchange for discounted oil? We went through a period of globalization, and now manufacturers are already building duplicate sources of supply to hedge against the geopolitical instability the world's now facing. That duplication of manufacturing has no added value to the business from a consumer standpoint. All it does is ensure security supply. So the added investment degrades ROI, and it adds cost. The cost reduction possible by moving to lower-cost geographies has largely been exploited over the past 30 years. And this was all done in a period of relative global peace. The invasion of the Ukraine caused a very abrupt balkanization of global trade and accelerated a trend that probably would have happened anyway, but more gradually, given a period of continued peace between the superpowers. Now, if you're sitting on China's side of the table, you bought those U.S. treasuries in exchange for goods shipped to the West. If companies are building duplicate supply chains, their costs are increasing. That's going to translate into higher prices as suppliers seek to recover those higher costs. See, our central banks are betting they can reduce inflation by reducing demand, and they hope to do that by reducing liquidity in the market and by increasing interest rates. 
but the supply-side issues are a global problem. No one country can solve it. Which brings me to the question of price elasticity of demand. Some products can be said to be elastic with price. If price goes up, then demand will fall. For example, earlier this week, my wife said she was not willing to pay $3 for a bag of shredded carrots at the grocery store. Shredded carrots are more convenient, but at 3 bucks a bag that contains the equivalent of one large carrot, she's going to use the food processor instead. It's an example of something that's elastic with price. Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying that demand for food is elastic with price. People still need to eat. But certain products might be elastic with price. Demand for items like heating fuel and medication, on the other hand, are highly inelastic. If the price of heating your home doubles, you're still going to heat your home. And if the price of a prescription medication increases by a quarter, you're probably still going to take it. There's so many products in our economy where demand is inelastic with price. And for that reason, I believe the central bank efforts to cool inflation simply by raising interest rates is not going to have the desired effect of reducing demand enough in enough sectors of the economy to have the desired effect. Now, housing accounts for 40% of the consumer price index. And if the Fed crushes the housing market, they negatively affect every single household in the nation and threaten financial solvency for homeowners and investors alike. But you see, the Fed's mandate is price stability. That doesn't just mean inflation. It also means stability on the downside. If they crush the economy and if they crush the housing market, that's not price stability. That's just a different form of chaos, even if the consumer price index is brought in line to the 2% they're seeking. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.